brand new series today. And by the way, excellent job, worship team. That, that, was, uh, that was excellent. Give them another hand. Excellent, excellent job. Um, as, as a preacher, it sure, uh, sure makes it easy to preach when the table's been set. So thank you guys for setting the table and leading us into the presence of God. A worship leader, their job is not to perform for you. Their job is to lead us to look to God. And I think that's what we did today. And any time we get up here and we focus on God, not ourselves and not the problems of the world, then we've worshipped. Um, God is pleased. We could go home right now. And some of you are going, Amen, let's go. Uh, too bad. I got the microphone on. We're not leaving for a while. So settle in be comfortable. Today, new series, Two to Tango. And uh, we're going to be talking about stuff that causes problems in marriage. And uh, none of you, this doesn't apply to you. I'm just going to tell you to take notes for all your friends that are having problems in their marriages and struggling with spouses and stuff like that because no one here has any problems with marriage. Now, we, we've do, we're doing these surveys because it gives us so much information, helps us understand how to better meet your needs. And uh, one of the things we found out is 30% of our congregation has never been married. 50% of our congregation is single right now, meaning they, some of them have been married, they're single again. And uh, so... Statistics say 90% of all people will be married at least once in their lifetime. So here's the deal. Like Alex said, if you're married, this is going to be a refresher course. If you have children or grandchildren, they need to understand, especially in this culture that, that we live in today, how to recognize potential mates. This is RPMs today, recognizing potential mates. And you may think, I don't need this. If you are alive and you know another human being who's not married who might someday possibly ask your opinion on marriage... You need to hear this. All right, so does that cover us all? If not, I can keep going. I can make some stuff up. All right, got us all. How do you choose a mate? Probably most of us have been in relationships that make us curse. But how many of us have been in at least one relationship that's been blessed by God? Okay, good, good. If, if you are one of those who more of your relationships have, have caused you to curse then to be obviously blessed by God, then maybe you should pay attention today and we're going to talk about doing things God's way. And, and a constant theme, this whole year, really up to this point, a constant theme has been when we choose to do things God's way, we receive God's blessing. When we choose to do things our ways, then God turns his back and says, I'm sorry, I can't be involved in that because you're not obedient. And so that's the same thing today. This is God's stuff. And, um, and I just want to present to you God's way of choosing a mate. God is not silent on this topic. Fortunately for us, none of the problems we face is God silent on. The problem is we don't know what God says. Because, and here's the deal, God, God wrote down 95% of His will for your life right here in the pages of the Bible. If you're not opening it, you're not giving God the opportunity to speak to you on a regular basis. So we're going to look at, at, a, at a fun story today, and uh, we're going to try to figure out what God has to say about that. You see, there's two, two questions that you need to answer that will greatly impact where your life ends up. First question you need to, uh, to answer is, where will I spend eternity? That's, you know, I choose Jesus, I get to go to heaven, I reject Jesus, I go to hell. All of that, I mean, that's in the pages of Scripture, it's, uh, that's simplified. The, the greatest choice of your life is, where will I spend eternity? And you do not get to change destinations after you die. So you have to make that choice now. Choose Jesus, heaven. Reject Jesus, hell. The second question that you need to answer, second most important question of your life, is who will I spend my life with? And if you have made wrong choices there, you'll, you understand the pain that's involved if you don't make those choices God's way. And so um, these two questions are going to define the trajectory of your life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, today we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament, and it's the story of Isaac. He is the son of Abraham. Now, if you know anything about Old Testament, you know that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. God starts the Jews with Abraham. And so, this is just like God. Because when he established this religion, he didn't leave them on their own. The very first son... Whom, whom God promised to, to Abraham, you know, he had him when he was 100 years old, the first son that is the son of the promise, God starts with him and shows us this very uh, detailed process about how we can recognize the right kind of mates. 
and how we can teach our children to recognize the right kind of mates. Because every parent here wants your child to marry well, right? There's not a parent I know, I hope my kids have a sorry marriage. No, you want your kids to marry well, but we don't know God's standards, so we're not teaching them to our kids. So it makes sense that they're making decisions based on the world's standards and not God's standards. We're going to change that today. Now, our story begins in Genesis chapter 24, and if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're going to fly through this whole chapter. There's so much here, but uh, you may want to follow along. And this, this story starts with a scene that maybe you can relate to. Abraham is 140 years old. He had this son Isaac when he was 100, so Isaac is 40. Isaac is way past prime marrying age. And what does Abraham do? He starts wringing his hands. Oh, is my son ever going to marry? Now, if you, if you are in your 20s, approaching 30, and you've not been married, or if you're getting close to 40 and you've not been married, you understand this very well. Because who's, who's on your case most of the time? It's your family. My mom was so paranoid that I was going to get married before I got out of high school. And I'm like, dude, whatever. She thought, for, for one of my girlfriends, she thought I was going to get her a ring <laughs> for one of her birthdays. That girl was 16. You know, I was like, I may be stupid, but I'm not that stupid. Um, then she worried all through college that I was going to get married before I got out of college. Then I get out of college, and in mom's calendar, that's the time you get married, because everybody else in the family did that, my three siblings, and year after year went by. And, and then it started, is something wrong with you? <laughs> Are you ever going to get married? And, and uh, when I became a youth minister at age 19, I was going to Baylor, and I was at this little bitty church in China Spring, Texas. Some of you probably heard of that place. And it's like when I became a staff member there, every mom and grandmother in the church became a matchmaker. Everybody, oh, I have this granddaughter you have to meet. And man, man, I know. <laughs> I just decided if blind dating was the only type of dating, I'd stay single for the rest of my life. Because they would introduce me to folks, and I'm like, hmm, mm, mm, mm. I'm just not even going to tell you. I was really shallow. Not that I'm real deep now, but I was pretty shallow. So anyway, that's enough of that. I just thought blind dating, that stinks. And, and I'd seen too many marriages, and, and I was one of those that I didn't want to give my heart to anybody because I'd seen marriages mess up, and I'd seen family members mess up in marriage. And, and I was like, I don't want to go there. I'd rather be lonely than go there. And uh, Mom got worried. So this story is one of those situations where Dad, Abraham, is worried because Isaac is 40. And there's no prospects. He has no options in this land that they're living in. So, Genesis 24, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1. Verse 1. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household... Now, this would be Eliezer. If you study your Old Testament, Eliezer was the, the chief servant in Abraham's household. So he said to Eliezer, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh... We'll come back. I know that's right. Yeah, we'll come back to that. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living. But go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. Putting a hand under a thigh. Now, we do things differently here, but I've never seen this and, and I better never see this. Can you imagine walking up the steps. Hey, put her there. We might have to put a hidden camera back there at the entrance and just watch. Of course, we need to do it with people we know because if you do that to somebody who's new here, they are not coming back. There's something whacked about that place. What's the matter? I don't even want to tell you. I've had nightmares about going there. Put it, what in the world? Put your hand under my thigh. Now, there are certain things that are cultural. Praise God this is a cultural thing because I am not putting my hand anywhere near another man's thigh. All right? Now, this is actually a nice way of saying, I, praise God this was cultural. and not Because, see, all through the Bible you have to determine where something's cultural and where something's a timeless principle. This is cultural. And I'll show you why in just a minute how I know that's true. Okay, so there is no way to dress this up. And it's, it's another thing about the Bible that's, that's cool, and it's different from every other world religion. 
Because in the Bible, they don't pull any punches. They tell you what's up. If somebody's an adulterer, they say he commits adultery. Other religions dress up their, their religious teachings through the years. They'll go back and, and uh, edit it. The Bible does it. Putting a hand under the thigh was a nice way of saying, touch my genitals. You hear the crickets and everyone's like, we're done with this story. Um, okay, now, here's what scholars say. This is what scholars, they believe there's two reasons they did this. The first reason is if you go back to chapter 17 of Genesis, God established Abraham as the father. We used to sing, Father Abraham had many sons. I hate that song because it goes on forever till Jesus comes. Um, but Abraham was the father of the religion and, and the sign, the outward symbol that they had this covenant with God. God says, I will bless you, Abraham, and I will bless all the nations of the world through you. The outward sign was circumcision. This was a big deal back then. You didn't get circumcised on the eighth day. Abraham was an adult. Ah! Anyway, um, he was circumcised, and this was the outward symbol to all the world that, that this man was, was in covenant with the God, the one and only God of the universe. And so scholars think that in, in placing your hand under the thigh, you were saying, since this is an outward symbol of, of my commitment to God, may God hold you responsible for, for holding up your end of this contract, this covenant. Not even a contract, a covenant. The second reason scholars think this is, they did this was because it was very common back then when they were taking an oath to say, you know, it'd be like writing out a contract and getting a notary public to watch you sign it in blood. That's kind of what this idea is. Uh, they believe that, that the, in, in one of the provisions of the covenant, it said, May my children avenge upon you and your family any violation of this contract. And, and because children came through the, the genitals, that's, that's the symbol. Do not try this at home. Good rule of thumb. Do not try this at home. Okay. Now, this was a promise on steroids. And, uh, and you know, some of you are saying, I'm not going to take a covenant. Okay, just let's hang on. Now, that was the cultural side of it. The, the, the timeless principle is, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. <laughs> oh, bless you, Jesus. I don't have to shake under a thigh. Um, because... Jesus said, I'm tired of all this promise-making, all this oath-making, because people would say, oh, if you, if you make an oath based on the gold, which makes the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the altar, then, then that's okay. But if you just make your promise based on the temple, then that's not okay. Jesus said, quit! Yes is yes, no is no. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Now, verse 3 and 4, we see the very first rule in recognizing potential mates. And here it is. It's on your listening guide. You must be willing to narrow the pool of candidates. And some of these singles are going, have you seen the candidates in Palestine? You're asking me to narrow the pool? Give me a stinking break. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm telling you what God says. God says, here are the rules for relationships that last. You don't want to do it my way, suffer the consequences. You want a relationship that lasts, do it my way. Rule number one is you have to narrow the pool. So God is saying to them, stay away from the Canaanites. Now, this is the promised land that he took Abraham to. Years later, this is where they come back when Joshua is the leader after Moses has died. You know, they cross the, the Jordan River. They go into the promised land, the whole Jer uh, Jericho thing and fighting all. This is the promised land. Abraham's already living there, but he's, a, he's an alien. It is not his country. And so they're surrounded by these people that are pagans, idol worship, sacrificing babies to, to all these little G gods. These people were detestable in the sight of God because of their religious practices. And God says, stay away from them. Why? Because I want you to be lonely? No, because they will be a trap to you. Years later, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, God said, do not marry foreign women. Again, you've got to understand the, the context here. We're not talking about don't marry interracially. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says don't marry someone who's of a different faith than you. That's the timeless principle. And he said they will be a trap to you. And sure enough, when people disobeyed God, Solomon was led astray. The wisest man who ever lived was eventually led astray by women who did not share his faith. 
had nothing to do with the color of their skin. Women who did not share the faith. So this thing is rigged. If you're just going to settle for the locals, regardless of their belief system, God says you are on your own. You're not doing things my way. I take my hands off of it. You will suffer the consequences. It's like building your house on quicksand. Any of you knowingly do that? (laughs) No. Why would you build a marriage on this messed up faith system? In the New Testament, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So the idea here is um, to be yoked together is this, this wooden shoulder harness that went around oxen. And he's saying, when you are yoked together, you put a team of oxen together. What happens if one ox pulls this way and one ox pulls this way? Either they go nowhere and they're enormously frustrated and they expend all this energy on getting nowhere, or the more powerful one overpowers the weaker one and drags that sucker along. What kind of ride is that for the weaker one? Stinks. And all the time, I deal with marriages where one person violated the principles of God and they're being dominated and they hate their life because they're being dominated by someone who does not love God and leads away from God and is hostile towards God. And it stinks. Never violate the principles of God and expect the blessings of God. You'll be dominated and you will... Paul says, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Nothing. So if you're serious about following God, it means you will have to wipe out 70% of the population as potential candidates, and you're going, holy cow manure! That's a bunch of people that I can't date. Mm -hmm. And you say, oh, that's too inconvenient. And your loneliness will overwhelm you, and you'll say... God doesn't really care about me. And when you believe that lie from hell, you'll give in and you'll get in a marriage that stinks. And it's much worse. I'm telling you this. It's much worse to be lonely in a marriage than it is without God than it is to be single and lonely with God. You've got to make a choice now because if you wait until you're lonely... (laughs) Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I've been lonely a long time. I made a lot of stupid decisions based on loneliness. And uh, I think you probably have too. You're saying it's inconvenient. Isaac didn't get to date anybody. Don't talk to me about inconvenience. This dude's 40. And he he had to ignore the local girls. And I'm sure he had lots of options. Inconvenient. Eliezer, the servant, had to get ten camels... And travel four days across the desert to another country. Don't talk to me about inconvenient. (laughs) The question is, will you trust God or will you trust you? And Satan's going to try to tell you, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. If God cared, he'd provide somebody. Well, hang on, because I'm going to give you some more instruction in just a minute. But even if you're not a Christ follower, if you're here today and you do not follow Christ... Just, just think about this logically. Because if you follow uh, Buddha or if you're a Mormon or you know, whatever your faith system is, why would you date somebody who believes differently than you? That makes no sense. You are setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for heartache and your children for heartache. Just use logic. And it says date someone who is a Christ follower if you're a Christ follower or a Buddhist if you're a Buddhist. And ladies, let me just, let me just say this. Um... You need to date somebody who's further along spiritually than you are. And you're going, oh, dude, now you're talking like 99% of the population's out. You want a good marriage or do you want heartache? I'm just telling you what, what God has to say. Now, some of you are going, oh, whoa, 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 I'm married to an unbeliever and, and I don't want to condemn you at all. Okay? I, I don't want to deal... I don't want to stay in your past. I don't want to heap guilt on you. We don't do that here. So if you're already in a marriage with an unbeliever, the Bible speaks to that. God tells you that. Just jot this down. We don't have time to look at it today. 1 Peter 3 and 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16. You need to go read this. Because basically those passages say, stay and serve. 
Win your husband without a word. Win your husband without preaching. And if you're not, you're not a Christ follower, you're going, Woo, where's that? Let me write that down. No preaching at me. I'm going to use that. Now, I'm not talking about it being in an abusive situation. If you need, if you need more counsel on this, give me a call or get our, our uh, sermon. A couple years ago, we did a, a talk on tough issues, and one of them was divorce. God doesn't command divorce, but God allows divorce in a couple of situations, and we cover that on this, uh, in the tough um, issue series, and you can get it on, on iTunes or, or something like that. But I'm not talking about when you are in danger or your children are in danger. I'm talking about convenience. And most people leave, really, they leave marriages because of convenience, not because of danger. And God says, stay and serve. This goes both ways. Men, women, women, men, stay and serve if you're in um, a relationship with a non-believer. Well, what if I married the wrong person? Too late. When you said, I do, in the eyes of God, that became the right person. Stay and serve is what God says. Well, I don't like that. Okay, suffer the consequences. You've got to choose who you're going to follow. I'm not smart enough to follow my ways. I need a standard that does not change, does not shift. And so I've chosen to get under the umbrella of, of God's authority. And under God's authority, there's blessing. Outside of God's authority, He says, you're on your own. Do not expect the blessing of God when you violate His principles. All right, so this means no missionary dating. Ah! Because some of you are like, this is my calling. This is how I'm supposed to serve. I'm supposed to reach men who are far from God. No, you're not. Not as a spouse. You're lying to yourself. You're supposed to date people that share your faith. And, and I would challenge you to find somebody who's further along spiritually than you are. How do you find them, by the way? You start serving God. And while you're serving God, you look around and see who's serving next to you. Don't look at the people that are sitting on their rear. You look at people who are serving, and that's your pool of candidates. And then you move from there. Genesis 24, verse 6. Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on, earth, on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master. Don't even picture it. Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way back to the town of Nahor. How many, how many camels? Ten. Remember that number. We're going to come back to that number in just a minute. So, do you think Eliezer was clear on the instructions? <laughs> he had to touch unspeakable places on another man to say... I understand, and may God do to me, may your children avenge my violation of this covenant. He understood, so he understood, and that brings us to the second thing. I must be willing to obey. He obeyed and left, got the ten camels, loaded them up, took them to another country. He obeyed. It's not enough to say, God, okay, I'll narrow the pool, but I'm going to date all of these non-Christians while I'm waiting on you to bring me the person. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. That's partial obedience, and partial obedience is really disobedience. And again, God doesn't bless that. So Eliezer left the country, he obeyed, and he looked for a wife, and we come to step three. And this is, this is the step where almost everyone I know, myself included, messes up. Because we get out of order of God's sequence, and we'll do step three before we ever do steps one and two. And we'll ask God to bless us, and uh, God says, no, that's not how it works. Um, step three is he prayed. He prays. And let's see what his prayer is. He, he takes all these camels. He comes to a well, a spring, in the new land. And then he stops everything. And here's what it says, verse 12. Then he prayed, Lord God, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to, your mas to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, this well, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. So he gets there around the evening. That's the time that every woman in the society would be coming out to draw water. That was their job. That was part of their wifely duties. They were all coming out to draw water. 
How in the world are you going to choose from all the women who are coming out? Look what he says. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Do not. Do not bother to pray. Do not ask others to pray if you're living in disobedience. Get the process right. When God says do something, then you do something. You obey, then blessing comes. You obey. Don't bother other people. Don't ask me to pray for you because I'm going to say, are you living in sin? Yeah? Okay, then you've got issues with God. My, I, I've got other things I can pray about where people are being obedient because God says obey, I bless you, disobey your cursings. So obey first and then pray. Can you imagine if your children ask you to bless them when they're living in deliberate defiance of everything you've ever taught them? You'd be incredulous. No parent would do that. Only a fool would do that, and God is no fool. Second Chronicles 7.14, look at this. If my people who are called by my name... All right, here's a process. You want to you have God hear and answer your prayer. They will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And read that dark section for me. Read it. Turn from their wicked ways. Then, after all this other stuff, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God's blessing comes after obedience, so don't pray if you have no intention to obey. I was trying to think up a rap for that, and you don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I was doing it this morning. I'm glad no one else heard it. So Eliezer obeyed what he already knew to do. Then he prayed. And, and a lot of us need to confess our sins and then pray. We need to turn from what we know is wrong and then pray and if, if you're not willing to do that, then God's going to let you suffer some more because pain is, is the way that God gets our attention. And if you're not willing to pray, you just hadn't hurt enough. And you're saying, oh, what are you talking about? When you've hurt enough, you'll eventually say, I'm done doing it my way. Here it is, God. I give it to you. And God says, yes, that's a heart I can work in. He just won't bother until you get to that point. Obedience first, prayer second. Now, next, I must be willing to get healthy. Number four. Oh, I love this. Eliezer prays, give me a sign. So what he said was, show me a woman whose character shines. Show me someone who will give me water and water my stanky camels. That's my translation of his prayer. So what he's doing is he's asking God for guidance. And this is a huge, huge point for anyone who is seeking God, who's asking God to give them the right spouse. A lot of people will pray for the right spouse when they have not become the right spouse. You want someone else who's mature and seeking after God, but you're not willing to be mature and seeking after God. And God says, you know, if you want to do it my way, I really need to do a little more in your heart before you're ready for me to bring someone in. I can't trust you yet. All right, look at the story. Verse 15. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. I'm glad there was that clarification to the term virgin. Virgin, no one had ever slept with her. Um, she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched. He watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. All right, here's the key. When you pray, when you've obeyed and then you pray, always watch to see what happens next and connect what happens next to your prayers. When you think that God does not answer... It's either because you're disobedient and God says, I'm not going to bless a disobedient child. Or God may have given you the answer, but you are not tuned into him spiritually and the answer is right before your eyes. So many times when I've obeyed and then I've prayed, God moves quickly. And, and if I'm not paying attention spiritually, I miss it. How many times have I prayed, oh God, give me somebody to, to, 
to minister to today. And you know, and when I'm out driving around town, God, give me somebody that I need to I need to share your love with. Someone's right there immediately, and if I'm not paying attention, I don't connect what happens next to the prayer. Well, praise God, Eliezer, Eliezer didn't do that because he prayed. What did he pray? God, show me this woman. She comes and says, oh, not only let me give you a drink, but let me draw water for all your camels. How many camels? What Eliezer is saying is, give me a sign to show me which woman is right. And the sign was the camels. Now, do you know how much water it takes to refresh a camel who's gone four days without water? Take a guess. How many gallons? 30 is close. 25 gallons. Four days walking across the desert, 25 gallons. All right, get the picture here. Back in this culture, the jars that the women typically carried on their head down to the well in the evening, this is the time they go, carried about three gallons of water. Do the math. 83.3333 times she went back to the well, drew water, and came to a stranger she just met, gave him a drink, and watered all of his camels. See, Eliezer was praying, give, give me a sign and let the sign be a woman who will go beyond what is expected and serve. And... Uh, You see, the rule of hospitality in that day said that a woman was required to go get water for a weary traveler, but not his animals. He said, I want someone who has a servant's heart because he knew that character matters. Eighty-three times, eighty-three times she went back. What kind of woman goes back eighty-three times to get water for some stanky camels? The marrying kind. That's, that's the kind. Now, this goes both ways, ladies. You want to look for a man who will serve. Because marriage is hard, and when kids come along, it's harder. And you want a man who will help around the house and that will help with the kids. I want you to say, I know that's right, baby. And I want you to say it like you mean it. Let me say this. We're gonna, let me, let's go back. Ladies, you want a man who will help around the house and help when the kids come along. You better say that with some heart and soul. Because marriage is hard and every character flaw you have will be magnified about a hundred times in marriage. Marriage doesn't cause those things to go away. They get bigger. And you want somebody whose heart reflects character. Caleb was very nearly an only child. Homeboy cried for 11 months. Solid. You go insane when you are living on two and three hours of sleep for 11 months. I know that's right, baby. He had colic. I'm thinking he's demon-possessed. And I told Janie, one night we're laying in bed, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's just wailing. And I said, we are never having another child. And Janie and I had this deal where, you know, we took turns, and, oh, I hated it when it was my turn. She'd roll over, she'd go, it's your turn, baby. And I would think all kinds of Impure thoughts. I didn't say them, but I thought them. And, uh, oh man, that was hard. My whole memory of his first 11 months are with a nightlight on. There was one time I was so exhausted, I kid you not, I was so exhausted, he's just going nuts. And I have him on my chest and I'm patting. I'm so tired, I cannot pat him anymore. And finally I said, God, you got to watch this kid because i got to get some sleep. I set him on the floor. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, I jumped. I'm like, oh, God, forgive me. And he was fine. I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord. He's still doing his thing. And at least I had enough energy to pat him till it was Janie's turn. And I crawled in bed. Oh. You do not want a self-centered jerk as a spouse. And that's a male or a female. You want someone who will serve. Get yourself emotionally healthy. Then you look for someone who is emotionally healthy. And how do you know? You look at their heart. You look and see if they are serving. That's how you'll know. Hollywood marriages, you ever wondered why they all fail at a rather predictable rate? They all want someone to serve them. 
It's totally opposite of what... And, and Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Proverbs 31 ends with this nugget of wisdom. Charm can fool you and beauty can trick you, but a woman who respects the Lord should be praised. You ever been tricked by beauty? Infatuated? Someone who's charming but is a slime ball? (laughs) You watch them, and if they do not serve, run. Run away. Beauty fades, but a a kind heart lasts forever. Now, we're going to have to... Ride this horse to the barn. And I wish... Someday we're going to do just a whole series on, on recognizing potential mates because there's so much here. But let me, let me spur this one on. Next, number five, you've got to be willing to declare your intentions. And ladies, this is going to be a big key about whether you should even bother with the dude. Eliezer was a man among boys. And you know how I know that? Because he declared his intentions. Boys play games. Boys string girls along. Boys are self-centered. Men say, I'm in this for the long haul. One of the strengths of a man is his ability to endure storms. Years ago, I heard this this, um, analogy that, that women are like butterflies. They're pretty and they're dainty and they flit around from flower to flower. And they see everything. Men are like buffaloes. Ever watched a buffalo? He eats, poops, and sleeps. But now, now, okay, hang on. Before you jump on that, think about what happens when a storm comes, though. What happens to a butterfly in a storm? It can be destroyed. What happens to a buffalo? As long as he's got a clump of grass in front of him, Storms don't usually bother the buffalo. One of our strengths, men, is our ability to endure. My wife can be damaged much more easily than I can. And sometimes she just needs me to hold her. I don't understand. Sometimes I just need to cry. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because I never need to cry. <laughs> so I'm holding her, petting her. You know, I, One of the wives here one time said, it's so sweet when my husband will hold me because he has no clue. And he's real awkward. You know, it's about like hitting this. It's okay, baby. You know, <laughs> Just hold her. Just be steadfast, men. With every girl I dated before Janie, I was messing around. I had no intentions of marrying them. And the three girls, I was talking this week, three girls that I dated right before Janie let me know in no uncertain terms that they were ready to spend the rest of their life with me. Now, understand, these were marrying type girls. At least I had the brain to to date the right kind of girls. But the only reason I dated them was because they were convenient and I was lonely. How many of you want to be with a guy like that? I was a boy. They told me ring sizes, and the diamond that they wanted in it. And I'm like, okay, baby. I was a boy. I was a child. And I was 26 before God transformed me into a man. And I remember calling Janie up and and going back to see her. See, Janie and I had known each other for about six years, and we had dated casually. And the M word was a dirty word to me. Marriage, commitment, oh, run, run, run. Um, and I remember going to see her, long, funny story, but I came, I came to, she was in Huntsville in college, and I came to see her, and when, when I knocked on the door, she came out with me, we were standing in the, in the parking lot, and I'd never been to Huntsville before to see her, um, she'd always come to see me, because I was, I was a boy, and, and I just, if it wasn't convenient, I wasn't going to mess with, with any girl, and I remember, I hadn't seen her in a year and a half. And so she comes out, and, and we're standing there, and she looked good. And I remember I touched her face. We were talking about this this morning. I touched her face, and I said, I had forgotten how beautiful your eyes were. That's a good line. 
And yes, it worked. Man, she wrapped her arms around me. I hadn't seen her in a year and a half. Laid one on me. I'm like, this is good. <laughs> and we went upstairs and we sat down. And, and I, I'm telling you, when I obeyed, when I um, prayed, God showed me Janie in a different light. She'd always been beautiful. But I saw her heart and I sat down and my heart was about to explode. First time we'd seen each other in a year and a half. We're sitting on her couch and I said... I just got to tell you something. And she sees that little, you know, I see that look of fear in her eyes like, oh, no. And I said, I cannot pursue this relationship unless we're headed towards marriage. I said, if, if that scares you, then I need to leave. I didn't know that she'd been planning those words from my mouth for seven years, six years at this point. And she goes, works for me. <laughs> and uh, we kissed again, and I had, I had um, come to the point that I was ready to be a man and quit being a boy, and I declared my intentions, and God has blessed me beyond what I deserve. Proverbs 31.10 says that um, a wife of noble character, who can find? And then it says, her worth is more valuable than rubies. And you, you that know my wife know that God did me good, not her. I'm the one who, who was blessed in this whole deal because she is a woman of noble character. She has a servant's heart. And you know, if I were looking for a spouse, first place I would look is, is in a church. I'd look downstairs, and I would see people who are serving children because they're the people that, that have the heart that will last. I don't think anybody downstairs is single, so just give that up. Um, I'm just telling you where I would look. Okay, one last thing is I must be willing to listen to others. And I hope I've, I've ruffled some feathers today. Because I think you would admit that the way we've been doing marriage in America is not working. So I hope you're going, what? he said this, he said, I don't care if you're mad at me. If you will think about it and go to God, then, then I've accomplished my purpose today. The last thing is I've got to listen to others. In verse 49, Eliezer asks Rebecca's brother. Now, um, we don't know what happened to her dad. He's just not around. So the brother is the head of the household and goes to Rebecca's brother and he says, Look, you don't know me, but you know your sister. Is this a good idea? And look what, what it says in verse 50 and 51. Laban, that's the brother, and Bethuel, that's, his, that's her mom, answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. They're like, God is in this. I remember when I, Janie's dad had already passed away and I took her mom out to lunch. Now her mom knew what was coming. You know, I call her up and I had to drive from Austin to Meridian, Texas. And I said, I said, hey, Louise, this is Doug. Oh, hi, Doug. How are you? I said, can I take you to lunch tomorrow? I mean, you know, she's a smart lady. And so I show up and I take her to lunch and we eat and we're just having a little chit-chat. Janie has no clue I'm doing any of this. And I said, Louise, um, I want to marry your daughter and I'd like your permission. And the coolest thing, God, I wish I had camera then because she goes, it's about time. (laughs) And I'm like, sorry. She goes, I prayed for that year and a half y'all were gone and I would say, Lord, where is Doug? Doug's not getting it. She said, I'm glad you finally got it. And I said, me too. Um, If you are afraid of asking the opinions of others in your life, you already know that you're in the wrong relationship. If everybody in your life who loves you, who's not emotionally involved with the jerk you're dating, says, run, run, run. No, but I love him. You are stupid. Do not come back and blame the rest of us if you go against the counsel of others. Now, here's here's a, a clip from the Cosby show where dad realizes daughter is messing up and wants him to go with the new guy. Check this out and we'll finish. Thank you for having me over. You have a terrific family. 
Yeah, Daryl, you're failing. Failing? Yes, but Sandra, you're not moving fast enough. Excuse me? You're supposed to be in there talking to my daughter. Now, you like her, don't you? Well, from what I've known of her the last five hours, I... she's wonderful. Very bright, attractive. Well, then tell her that. I... Look, Dr. Huxtable, it is a little awkward. I mean, this is our first date, yeah. and the whole family has been around us. And it's really not my style. I mean, I'm more of a slow mover. You don't have time? <laughs> Why not? Because he's coming. <laughs> Who's coming? Elvin! <laughs> Who's Elvin? Elvin is the fellow that she likes. Oh, then why am I here? Because you're the fellow I like. <laughs> you like me, don't you? Yeah. I could be your father-in-law. This is moving a little too fast for me, Dr. Huxtable. I need a little more time. You want to see her again? Yes. Does she have your phone number? Yes. Good. Then you give it to me, too. Uh, Doctor, give it don't... to me! Area code 216-555-4795. That's right. Well, I hope you like pound cake. Yes, I like everything. <laughs> well, we better hurry and have this. I have to get packed. Sandra? Yes? I think you're very bright and attractive. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and this past day has been simply wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> My, my oldest daughter is 10, and um, we had a situation the other night. We were working at the party station, and this little boy thought she was hot. 10, you know, how hot can you be at 10? And uh, we, Janie had this talk with her and said, um, Rach, he's not for you. She goes, oh, I know it, Mama. I know it. And we have this joke, and some of you know that long time ago, I played a clip from one of my favorite uh, black pastors, E.B. Hill. And, and he said uh, he was preaching at his wife's funeral, and he was talking about his daughter. One time she was in a relationship shouldn't have been in. And he said, sometimes you got to break them up. <laughs> and the dude comes to the door and says, hi, is your daughter here? And he goes, not for you. <laughs> he goes, excuse me, is she here? Not for you. And slams the door. Daughter comes down the stairs, and, and uh, she says, was that for me? And he goes, not for you, sweetie. And she got mad. And, you know, he said, I didn't care. He was not for her. And, and in the whole thing, he's preaching a great, great sermon. He said, he said uh, she told me I was the president of the male chauvinist club of America. And he said, I'm happy to announce to you today that if I'm the president, I married her to the vice president. And, you know, everybody's just having a hooting time. And he says, they're relationships, parents. You've got to break them up. And so our kids know. All we have to do is say, they're not for you. And they're like, we know, we know. But if you don't teach your kids, who's going to? And there is nothing. You marry the whole stinking family. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Do not think you get away from the family. Every piece of junk that's happened in the history of the world in that family will come down upon your head in your marriage. So you need to get the input of others. And here's, what I'm, here's what I'm, where I'm going with that. Hang around. Don't get advice from people whose marriages are failing. How stupid is that? Find people who have the marriage you want to have. Let them hang around your prospective spouse. And if they hate him or her, run! 
I tell people all the time, I'm not emotionally involved in your relationships. Unless you're my son, I'll be involved in yours. <laughs> I'm not emotionally involved, so I can usually, you know, I can usually tell someone's character pretty quickly. I'm not saying I'm real intelligent, but I have this bunk detector. God gave me a bunk detector. And Janie, Janie will say, is your bunk detector gone off? I say, dude, it's out the roof. This, this guy, mm-mm. If, if the adult's bunk detector's gone off, <laughs> get rid of them. Now, I know, I know if you try to break relationships up, that draws them together. Here's the deal. You've got to establish a relationship with that child so that when they're older, you have influence, not control. You try to control your child, they will rebel. I dated a lot of girls because my mom didn't like them. I knew she didn't like them. I will not be controlled by you. She didn't have influence. So we've got to establish that relationship so we have influence in their lives. Now, right now in the dating relationship, he or she is giving you the best they will ever give you. If it's not good enough to impress the people in your lives who should have influence, do not think marriage will make them better. It won't. So listen to those people around you. And then the last thing that happens is when when they said this to Eliezer, he bowed before God and worshipped Him. I've been thinking a lot this week about how thankful I am that God brought me a woman who has a servant's heart and really, really hot blue eyes. Everything else is going to fade. Just to have those blue eyes when we've got wrinkles. I, I should have shown you a before and after picture of me because she didn't get a prize here, you know. Um, but if you don't have character, you don't have anything when you're old. Now, take your registration cards, if you would, and fill this out. Two, two baskets at the back. One is for uh, your registration.